Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics you could smell it in the air september is here little fall crisp coming along the pike college football is back the national football league beckons slowly but surely our favorite sport baseball gets pushed in the box and into the back of the closet because it's pigskin now baby maybe we'll come to think about it once the postseason rolls around, but your little wild card races, your little division battles, nah. I'm watching my football Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then give me the NFL, same thing. Four in a row, five in a row. Give me it all. Football. Ah. The fans are going berserk at these games that are on television to kick off week one. Minnesota, every person alive in that part of the country is allegedly at this Ohio State game. You can't breathe at this place, no pun intended, with what's going on in the country. Unbelievable showing, and we'll see what ends up happening in that game. Might have a little number four upset in week one. So what is your excitement level? We're still a couple days away from when all the games really happen. They sprinkle a little in to get us interested, and then bang, we're back. Do we need a couple weeks? Maybe get a little sense of how good teams are? Because these AP rankings come out. Everybody gets excited where their team is ranked if they made the top 25. We don't really know. And coming off of last season, when one conference played six regular season games in a global pandemic, you can't really know how good a team is going to be in a more normal year, because this year still has its trials and tribulations. I'm kind of in the boat of it's exciting to have it back, no question. It's exciting to have fans back, no question. But we'll have to maybe taper our expectations from what we're going to see on the field from the teams we think are going to be good. There's going to be a lot that they're going to have to deal with early. So if your team loses early, if your team wins early, I know this is going to be hard for everyone to do. Just relax. Just relax. Just enjoy that we have it back. Because the show we did at this time last year is going to be a hell of a lot more different than the one we get to do tonight. That's a long-winded way of saying, are you excited college football is back, Al? Well, I'm always excited for college football, and I know all our fans and friends out there are excited as well, but it is a much different landscape for two very large reasons. One, obviously, as we've said 
a number of times. Last year was the year they just put an asterisk by everything. No fans. Teams struck down by the virus, which is still out there. Delta variant, uh, certainly raising havoc in the NFL and some spots in MLB as well. But the biggest thing that we have to try and adjust to the change in the landscape is the fact that you know the three top teams in the country last year all have their quarterbacks at the next level in the National Football League as first-round draft picks. So all three teams have new and inexperienced quarterbacks at the helm. How will that play out? How long will it take those quarterbacks to adjust? How good will those quarterbacks be? We've been spoiled with Trevor Lawrence for it seemed like 12 years. Actually, it was only three. Justin Fields gave us two wonderful seasons at Ohio State. Now he's in the Chicago Bears. And Mac Jones gave us one fabulous year at Alabama. And now, shockingly, he is Bill Belichick's starting quarterback as he waves sayonara to one Cam Newton, who I don't know if he's looking for a job or wants one. Time will tell on that front. But it's not just a different environment. It's personnel far different than we're used to seeing at the top of the college football chain, food chain, excuse me. So it really, we really have to take a long, close, tempered, patient look at what we've got with the powers that be and Boomer Sooner, uh, the pride of the Big 12, at least for now, has the favorite for the Heisman Trophy and really the only returning stud quarterback in the upper, uh, the, the, the upper echelon of college football uh, in Spencer Rattler. So it's, it's really kind of a curious year. After a year where all hell broke loose and we didn't know whether or not we were playing and they were playing before any fans and we didn't know whether or not games would take place or not take place. The games got canceled, games got forfeited and teams who won six games went to, in their conference went to the Final Four. We have a season that will be played pretty much in its entirety but we don't have nearly the same kind of personnel and the same kind of really consistency that we were used to. Yes, Mac Jones was new last year, but he was new to a program that he had been the understudy at for years under star quarterbacks. These guys now are all fresh, new, and and the Clemson quarterback took some snaps, yes, and he obviously is is, uh, very highly thought of. But he hasn't played in a big-time game against big-time competition yet with all the marbles on the line. We saw him against Notre Dame. But what will he do against the SEC? What will the kid for Ohio State do as the season goes on? By the way, folks, as we speak, they're losing to Minnesota 21-17. And what will the new Alabama quarterback do? so, excuse me, what the new Clemson quarterback doing against the ACC? Not the SEC. We saw him against Notre Dame last year. Uh, but the competition level that he played against in his limited time was not that great. 
So it's really a, a whole new, fresh group for us to take a look at and analyze. And it's going to take more than a few weeks to do it versus just saying, okay, Alabama one, Clemson two, Ohio State three. There may be some guys to cook, you know, kick the door in this year. Maybe these quarterbacks struggle. Maybe they don't just you know, take the keys, hop right in, and start driving 100. Maybe you know, they're in the right lane for a while. Maybe they have to pull over the shoulder and get the hang of things. We'll see. So that really makes it interesting for me because all the guys that we're used to seeing, all the programs we're used to seeing go out and just lay the lumber to anybody and everybody who's not the top, second top dog, so to speak, in their conference uh, could compete with them. So I'm very interested to see how these programs uh, facilitate the influx of the new guy calling signals at you know the top of the college football world for specifically Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. I'm incredibly interested how much weight these week one games are going to have when it comes time to talk college football playoff and when the first rankings come, how much weight is put on these ranked games in just week one coming off of everything that we just talked about. For example, on Friday, North Carolina goes to Virginia Tech. That's interesting for somebody that covers the ACC because the early thought is one of those two teams will probably play Clemson for the ACC title down the road. That's going to weigh on their season, whoever wins or loses, especially North Carolina because they're ranked in the top 10. Penn State goes to Wisconsin. They're ranked 19th and 12th, respectively. Alabama plays Miami, one against a 14. How much weight will that win hold if Alabama beats Miami come the end of the season? Is Miami going to be in the top 10? I don't think much because I think Miami's going to be where they always are. I think Miami's going to come out flying and hit a brick wall. The Miami program is just not nearly what it once was to me. The Miami programs right now, no pun intended. They used to come out with all the smoke. Miami program to me has become smoke and mirrors. They never play well against anybody who's any good. And they never even play that well against anybody who's just okay. So you're going to have to show me with Miami. I don't care where they're ranked. I haven't seen anything from Miami in years. doesn't matter who the quarterback is. You know, if it's a 10th year senior, which it isn't King. King's been there for a decade, it seems like. Uh, I just, I have not seen the kind of consistency on both sides of the ball from Miami in years. Whether it's quarterback play, whether it's consistency on defense, rushing the passer, taking away the big play, running the football. I haven't seen it from the Miami Hurricanes in forever. A great, 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 great program. Nothing remotely resembling that currently. Hasn't been anything remotely resembling that for quite a while. The program that intrigues me right now is above all else because of what I said earlier, Oklahoma. This is their opportunity before they leave the Big 12 to seize the moment in their conference. I don't want to say the weakest of the Power Five, but one of the arguably two weakest of the Power Five. And because they have the returning quarterback, the star quarterback, now they're not that deep a running back, 
They've got issues at running back. But their defense under their new coordinator last year was vastly improved, as we said last week. If that carries over and they can defend effectively in the Big 12, they will score a boatload of points. And you could see Oklahoma going undefeated and grabbing the bull by the horns early, running up big scores against whoever they play, while these other teams kind of feel their way around with their new signal callers before they really figure out their identity and they get a foothold. But the point is, this is Oklahoma's chance. They're always playing from behind against Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson because of the conference and sometimes, I don't want to say the quarterback situation because obviously they have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, but the other teams have had quarterbacks. The other teams have had good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, quarterbacks that are known commodities. These teams now all have quarterbacks that are unknown commodities in the big picture of things at the top of the college football playoff format. If you want to look at it from that point of view, Spencer Rattler is not that Spencer Rattler was established. Spencer Rattler is the Heisman trophy favorite. So Oklahoma has a big advantage over all the rest of the superpowers coming into this season. And this is their chance to play from ahead for once. Oklahoma is always, can they get in over Ohio state? What does the big 12 champ have to do? They don't have a conference. They don't have a conference championship game, but they're the conference of champions. They play everybody one true champion. Well, now Oklahoma has a chance to do what nobody else of these teams is that, excuse me, that they've had to do in a very long time. Start from ahead because of the quarterback position. While the other teams, even though, yeah, Alabama, monster, Gallup, but Alabama lost a ton on both sides of the ball. Ohio State lost a ton on both sides of the ball and a brilliant quarterback. Clemson lost the number one pick in the draft and a ton. This is Oklahoma's chance to be there from the beginning versus having to worry about somebody losing. Versus having to get in a pissing contest that, you know, well, Oklahoma's got one loss, Ohio State's got two losses. How do we take one loss uh, you know, Oklahoma uh, from the Big 12 from a one-loss Big 10, even though the Big 10 team, 12, Big 10 team didn't win the conference championship. This is Lincoln Riley's golden opportunity. Before he leaves for the SEC, will be that much more difficult to put Oklahoma's imprint on the college football season from their first game. And look at the schedule. From afar, as of now, this will change. They only are playing two preseason ranked opponents 21 ranked Texas, seventh ranked Iowa State for their second to last game before going to Oklahoma State. You're playing Tulane, Western Carolina, Nebraska at home, West Virginia, and Kansas State at Kansas State. Then you host yeah, don't Texas fall, don't, October don't, don't slip up against Kansas State. You better not. Like they always do. You better not, because then you're hosting Texas. Doesn't that, that matter. Doesn't matter what you do after. Are they you're back? Done. You're done. You can't earn that back. Your schedule's not strong enough. If you're Oklahoma, this has to be Barry Switzer time. You have to go out and win your games 63 to 10. Right? 58 to 7. 61 to 3. You have got to put Hurtins on everybody you play and beat Texas by a couple touchdowns and beat 
Iowa State by a couple of touchdowns. Minimum. You've got to go out there with the attitude of it's us against the world. This is last chance hotel. Because we're not going to win any prizes because of our schedule. But if we put up massive numbers, massive numbers, like the old days, against everybody we play, and that means everybody, they can't keep us down. They can't keep us up. And when they say, well, we'll look at who they played, well, we could only play who's on our schedule. That's the conference we're in, and we're in a Big Five conference, and we destroyed everything in our wake. You can't deny us this year. And if you do that, I can't understand how you could say, you know what? Let's leave this behind. <laughs> Forget about running the table, going undefeated, having a shot at the national championship. We got to win two more games. Let's but go you got to do it first. You got to do, do it first. You do have to do it first. You, do, you, know, you can say that after you do it. You can say it after you do it. You can't say it. If you go 12 and one, you can't say it. If you get beat by Ohio state, excuse me, by Iowa state, you can't say it. If you go into the little apple in Manhattan and, and get beat again, like they did a few years back, that is the landscape of college football. As I see it, Pac 12, huge game early. Oregon goes to the big horseshoe. Keep an eye on that. Oregon has some of the best personnel in the country. Can they finally win? that big road game that has eluded them when they take on a non-conference foe that always wrecks their season. You know, the loss to Auburn. Can they win that game early on? So instead of, again, like Oklahoma, playing uphill, not that Oklahoma loses the game early, more so because of the conference, but can they avoid playing uphill? And yeah, it was Ohio State, but we lost. Well, they lost to Ohio State on the road. Yeah, but they lost. And you know, one and two, two and one, three and one. No, no, five and oh. Five and oh with a win at Ohio State. That gives you the edge against Ohio State come playoff time. It gives you the edge against Ohio State if it's four and five. Who's going? Why? We beat him. Where'd you beat him? Beat him at home. Doesn't matter what it is in the season. Early, middle, late. You win that game in the other team's building in a non-conference matchup, and you each have one loss. How do you argue against the team that won the game on the road? You can do it till you're blue in the face, but you lose. Because you get in that room, and when it all begins and ends, you point to one thing. They went into your building, and they beat you. No excuses. I don't want to hear about you're the Big Ten and they're the Pac-12 and you have the stronger conference. They came into your building and they beat you in your building. Same record, both conference champs. No argument. No argument. The Dukes-Mayo Classic. Number five, Georgia. Number three, Clemson. The must-see game of Saturday. Potentially a season maker or breaker for either team maybe uh maker not breaker too early to me these are season makers not breakers as long as you compete but if it's 41 10 season breaker 
because they'll point back to one loss, but Jesus. Okay. Arguably their biggest game of the year <laughs> to start the season. They got smoked. They weren't they weren't prepared. They got smoked. How do how do we yeah, well it was early on a different team now? Uh, same team. It's the same team. It's the same guys. Get their asses kicked. Out coached, out played. 28 26, 31 30, 27 24, last second field goal, flip a coin. Two high caliber teams and you know, two of the top three conferences. A OK. Winner, great. Loser, you're alive. Who'd you lose to? Georgia. You know, I, I mean, they were top five in the country when we lost them by field goal at the gun. Who'd you lose to? Clemson. You know, I say more. And they lost two games in five years. You know, say more. And we lost on a last second try. All right, you're all right. But go now, go, go, be fruitful and multiply. Don't sit back. Don't lose two more games. Don't lose two more. You then allowed one conference loss after you lose to them. One conference loss, two all told. Three losses, take a seat. It's only four teams this year. Lose 41 to 10, loser's got a tough, loser's got a bad out. 41 to 10, it's a tough blemish, tough to overcome. That's not just a little zip medicine. Win the rest of your games. And then you can chalk it up and say, as early, we didn't really have an idea of who we were. Quarterback situation, maybe some virus losses, whatever the case may be, whatever your excuses are, okay. One bad game, everybody's entitled. But got to go out and win the rest of them. Two race 41-10. Only four teams get in. Anybody who loses 41-10, to 10, unless you have a fabulous season where that's your only loss, it's tough to get in. It's 41-10, to 10, that's a tough one to get rid of. Tough one to get rid of. Well, then you have to start watching other schools, too, and hoping that they get a loss somewhere along the line to make that discussion a little bit easier as you mentioned, because if that's your one loss and there's a couple other teams that don't have a blemish like that, that hurts regardless of when it was. Like we said, only four get in. There's not a lot of room to get lambasted on a given Saturday or Thursday night or Friday night, whatever it may be, and still get in. You leave yourself not much, if any, of a safety net. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. JT Daniels of Georgia, DJ Uyunglele of Clemson battled against each other over in California in high school at their prestigious preparatory high schools. Daniels, ex of USC. That's right. Transferred over to Georgia. So. They know each other. It's going to be an exciting game. There's no other way to put it. The game, it's the game that Kirby Smart never wins. It's a good point. It's a game that Kirby Smart can never find a way to win, and usually at the end of the game you're shaking your head. Whether it's the fake punt that everybody saw coming, always finds a way in big games to make bad decisions, looking like a lunatic on the sideline. Screaming in his coordinator and 
they may play a great half and then they disappear or may they just get they may just get obliterated and look like they don't belong on the field to begin with either way kirby smart never wins this game never wins this game can he finally find a way to win a mammoth regular season game I would like to see that streak continue of him not being able to, but we will see come Saturday. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League on this program and in life. And we had we'll have to do it without Cam Newton. Exactly. We had an exciting development occur. Well, not exciting for some, depending on what side you're rooting for. And considering it's 2021. And Cam's now a wily veteran, maybe not as exciting as it would have been five or six years ago, but still a storyline that the NFL loves us to talk about. Cam Newton released by the New England Patriots on a day when apparently he was supposed to meet with the media at like five o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time. Didn't get there in the morning. We woke up to the news. Gone on cut down day. See ya. Mac Jones is our guy. Now, There's a lot of speculation, as of course there is, whether or not it was because Cam Newton wouldn't be a great backup quarterback in New England. The team loves him. They love his energy. Maybe that's not the guy you want being the hype man for Mac Jones. There's also the discussion of his vaccination status, how he missed time because he's not vaccinated. Important practices when Mac Jones went off, impressed everybody while Cam was home. Because something happened. You didn't know something about a test. Went home. Did that be the reason why he got cut? Now, Bill Belichick came out and ignorantly said, well, it doesn't really matter if you're vaccinated or not. We have enough players and coaches and staff that are vaccinated and still got it, so you really can't look at it that way. Fool. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Coach, for discouraging people from getting the vaccine. Yeah, you you get it, but we still got the virus. Instead of him just doing his one-word answer, I can't believe you're asking me that, he actually makes a statement on it, and it couldn't be farther from the stupid. We don't know why he got cut, but the point is he got cut. Cam Newton, a free agent, Mac Jones, the guy in New England, did this surprise you, and now what for the Pats? You're putting all your eggs into the Mac Jones basket. Mac Jones, 15th pick, by the way, and the fifth quarterback taken in this past draft. Okay. Okay, Brian Hoyer is the backup now. Well, he has to be resigned. They released him too, which sent the internet in a tizzy before someone's like, oh, they just had to clear some space. He'll probably be back. So Brian Hoyer is your backup for now. Okay. Surprising, yes. Shocking, no. I thought Cam would be the starter. I didn't know how long it would last. I thought this kid was pushing him very hard. He got plenty of snaps in the preseason. He looked good when he got him. You know, Belichick would not draft him if he didn't love him. And he loves him. We know what he sees. He sees Tommy Boy again. He sees a one-year wonder in college who brings all the things that Brady brought him, not in the beginning, but what a developed Brady brought him. 
a Brady who was an incredibly hard worker. Like a sponge in terms of studying and gaining knowledge. Accuracy. Patience in the pocket. The ability to make all the throws in the tight windows. Catchable ball. Grasping the offense. Will he make mistakes? Of course, he's a rookie. So will Brady make mistakes? But are you going to win a championship this year or next year, the year after with Cam Newton? Can you build towards winning a championship with the kid? And I would say the answers are no and yes. We've seen the best of Cam Newton. And it was terrific, bordering on great. And you could even say great for a couple of years. But Cam continued to prove what the National League Foot- Football League is all about when it comes to quarterbacks. You can't run forever. And you can run, but no, you cannot hide. As I have said to you many times, no matter how big, no matter how strong, no matter how fast you are, like you were at Auburn, you can only be that way for so long in the NFL because they're bigger and they're stronger and they're faster and they will wear you out and they will hurt you. And once you start getting hurt at the quarterback position and it becomes a consistent, continuing factor in your career, You just don't get back to where you were. And Cam is a big, strong, athletic guy who ran, scored his touchdowns, who threw from the pocket, who threw on the run, but took a ton of hits on scrambles, on designed runs. And obviously they wear on anybody and everybody, including him. And he's not in his fifth year anymore. He's in his last year. And he's just not the same player. And it's not because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not because he grasps the offense. It's not because he doesn't have the skill. It's he doesn't have the physical ability anymore from the beatings he has taken over the years because of the way he plays the game. And there's nothing wrong with the way he plays the game. He's played the game at the highest level. He's been an MVP in the National Football League. He went to Super Bowl. He didn't play well against a terrific defense. Nobody knows that better than you. But his style of play results in a shorter career than a Tom Brady style of play where you hardly ever get hit. And if you do, it's back there where, you know, you got a better chance to go down. And you can see him coming a chunk of the time. And if they hit you there, now you get penalized. You're running the open field. They can hit you as hard as they want. You're fair game unless you're sliding. And Cam didn't slide a lot. Cam was going for first downs and touchdowns. Well, now Cam's headed for the couch. It's a lot more comfortable. And that happens to everybody sooner versus later when you played that style of game in the National Football League. That's why. Lamar, on my team, can't play this way forever. He can't continue to be a guy who's going to rush for a 1,000 yards and expect to have 
you know, a 12 year, 13 year, 15 year career. His game is going to have to evolve where he throws much more from the pocket, takes less hits, or he will wind up like him. He will wind up beaten up where his body just cannot take the pounding. And because of the injuries, his body does not allow him to do the things he had done in his prime. Now, do you think Cam Newton is done? Do you think Cam Newton finds a job this year? Cam Newton said in the HBO show, The Barber Shop or The Barber Chair, however they describe it, he's not worse than 32 other quarterbacks. I don't know if he's wrong in saying that, Al. Now, it's not a very long list behind him. I agree with him a little. I just don't know what system he would fit the best in because I think well, it's forget, the system forget, forget that about, would have Forget to work about for the notion does. of system and talk about, you know, who's better, who's never, you know, argue he's better than Andy Dalton, but you're not going to bring him in and get rid of Andy Dalton, have him start ahead of Fields. Can't do it. That, 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 that doesn't accomplish anything. You bring him to the Fields Texans. Is next in, Fields is there, he's ready, and you're going to groom him. And Dalton is kind of like you know the, the good, good guy, so to speak, and ready to turn over the keys anytime soon. Right. Whereas you know, Cam may be better than Dalton, but you know, if Cam doesn't want to relinquish the keys, then that's not what you want to bring Cam in to do. You know, if Cam wants to continue to drive the car, then I don't know who Cam's better than. I really don't, and a lot of it's got to do with his physical ability. Because of the injuries. And, you know, is, is Cam better than Kirk Cousins? Maybe, but maybe not. Is he better than Fitzpatrick? I, probably. But, you know, you're not going to get a spot on, on the Washington football team with a coach who's had cancer if you're not going to get vaccinated. Right. Sorry. It's not going to happen, Cam. Do you want him to throw? Is your main part of the offense going to be him throwing it 30, 40 times a game? Because that's not the answer. We've seen him throw. He hasn't been a great thrower in a long time. He could get it to you, but if you're putting 20 quarterbacks, lining them up for your life, who's going to throw the best ball 25 yards down the field? Unfortunately, he's probably number 20 on the list. And even then, you might want to throw it yourself. So the question is... Does Cam want to be a backup? Is he searching for a starting job? We don't have the answers to that, but it's hard to find an easy one across the league for either answer. Where would he fit best as a backup? And if you're going to try to make him a starter, as far behind as he would be with your playbook and what your team wants to do, where's that going to be? Well, you're not going to make him a starter right now, no matter where he goes. The question is, what does he bring to the table that's going to make your team that much better with him as a starter? What has he shown in New England? And again, still not vaccinated. So that's what he brings to the table. Potential for infection and spreading and forfeiting games. Remember, that's the hammer this year, folks. You get debilitated by the virus, no rescheduling, you forfeit. 
That threat looms over the head wherever he goes. He's a carrier because he refuses to get vaccinated. How much of a difference is he going to make? Two games into 2021. Well, three. You could argue four. We were saying maybe New England can do this with Cam. Remember, they beat the Dolphins to open the season 21-11, which was okay. They had that fourth down try against Seattle and lost 35 to 30, but hung with them. And he threw for 397. Not a horrible play call. A terrible, horrible play. terrible decision. Now you run it in that instance against Seattle. Didn't you learn? I knew that play was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. I mean, come on. But you left that game. At least they competed. You beat the Raiders the next week. You lose to Denver week four, 18, 12, 157 yards. You lose to the Niners 33 to six, 98 yards passing nine for 15, three picks the next week. Okay. 24, 21 against the bills in Buffalo. Maybe we're still all right. You beat the Jets. You beat your Ravens. Then you lose to the Texans when he throws for 365. You had hope at times. Flash. But then some of the games, especially down the stretch, were just disastrous. So there wasn't enough consistency for this year to be, well, you know what he was capable of. And now in a second year under the offense – Maybe it's worth taking a shot. But there wasn't enough to see that. You were basically coming into this year because of what happened last season, on and off the field, not a clean slate, but close to it. He was going to have to show something going up against Mac Jones, and Mac Jones beat him out. Simple as that. And for whatever the reason was, they didn't want him as the backup. If it was him, if it was Belichick, if it was the ownership – Whatever the case was, we're living with the consequences, and it's on Mac Jones' shoulders now. Well, remember, you're also paying Cam not an enormous amount of money, but enough money where it still matters because uh, a lot of his contract was, in all probability, performance bonuses, roster bonuses. So you, you probably saved a good chunk of money. By turning him loose as well. Now, it is still a business, and nobody's more cost-conscious than Belichick. And, again, he doesn't draft this kid where he drafted him if he doesn't love him. Love him. Bill Belichick taking a quarterback in the middle of the first round means he thinks he got a steal of a deal. Moving to get him, too. Well, look, we all said it. We all thought it. Yeah. There were rumors San Francisco was going to take him. We didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I still don't believe they took who they took versus Justin Fields with a third pick and, and giving up the cachet slash collateral they did to get it, which they didn't have to do. But, you know, the geniuses that are the Niners brass and their coach, you know, what have you done for me lately? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. All that matters is, you know, I went to a Super Bowl uh, and gave it away with play calling and I was the coordinator in Super Bowl and gave it away with play calling, but we'll talk about that for another day. Oh, that's right. That we've already talked about that at infinitum, um, the coaching genius, but I, I, I just, 
this is the kid he thinks is going to put him back on center stage. This is the kid who's going to bring the franchise back to where he wants it to be. A quarterback who sits in the pocket, spreads the ball, runs the offense behind the play calling genius and allows you to basically have whatever kind of game plan you want. Cause in their heyday, what did we always say about the Patriots? They'll beat you however they see fit to beat you, depending upon the week, depending upon the opponent, depending upon the environment. Sometimes they'll run for 250 yards. Sometimes they'll throw for 450 yards. Well, if you're going to do that, you've got to have the quarterback who has the ability to run the offense and not worry about his numbers, whether he's thrown 18 times or 48 times and one touchdown versus five. But when those opportunities are there or when the need is there, the quarterback has the ability to do that. And he sees that, obviously, in this quarterback based upon what he saw of him at Alabama and what he saw of him in workouts and what he saw of him in camp and what he saw of him in preseason. And I'm not going to argue with him. No, I'm not going to dispute it. I don't think so. I like what I saw at Alabama too. Yeah. He is not looking for somebody to just, you know, hold the fort. He's looking to jump back in. And I think ultimately his decision was, and this, this is not, Teams don't make the playoffs usually doing that. Okay, we'll go to the kid in game five. The Ravens made the playoffs in doing by, by doing that because they had to. Joe Flacco got hurt. So I don't think his mindset was ever, you know, I can make the postseason if you know, Cam plays five games and then we turn it over to the kid. That's usually not the way it works. Those teams don't go into the postseason and certainly not far into the postseason. Belichick is not looking to have another season where he doesn't make the postseason. One was and enough. Compete for, and, and compete for a championship. And then seeing your old he, quarterback win the Super Bowl on top of it. Nope, not again. I, I don't think so. You know, he's not 50. He's got less years ahead of him, you know, the, the more. And he wants him in the playoffs, and he wants him competing for championships. And this is the guy who thinks he's going to do it. You're not competing for a championship with Cam Newton. It's as simple as that. Not with the New England Patriots. You want to put Cam Newton behind a juggernaut off of what we've seen from Cam Newton? Maybe you could be for a championship, but maybe not. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Before we wrap things up, listeners know how much we enjoy talking baseball. You are a Cardinals fan by trade, but a fan. The not yet dead birds. Not yet dead birds. That's what we're putting on the t-shirts. But a fan of baseball in New York. A couple days back, Javi Baez, former rival of yours in St. Louis with the Cubs, came out to say that the reason the Mets had been doing this thumbs-down gesture after their success. Home runs or doubles, everybody has something with their dugout that they do. Even though the Yankees did the thumbs-down a couple years ago and they just took it from them. That's besides the point. But come to find out, 
They've been doing this for the past several weeks in a response to the fans booing the Mets for their absolutely atrocious play in the month of August. This was their way at booing them. Now, nobody knew this. Why would you? The reporters aren't in the locker rooms as they once were to ask these types of questions. But it comes out that the thumbs down was an F you to the fans. So the fans obviously said, hey, fuck you right back, Javi. You're here for a cup of coffee. We don't know if you're even coming back next year. And you're going to call us out for booing your ass when you and the team have played like garbage for a month. Francisco Lindor, the 10-year, $341 million player, was in on it. His best friend, good friend, a couple other guys too. Now, the next day, as part of a doubleheader, Javi Baez scores the game-winning run in the first game to an uproarious cheer from the gaggle of fans that were there because whenever there's doubleheaders in Major League Baseball, it's like high school football games on Fridays. Not a lot of people. A lot of people for a high school football game, not baseball. I don't want to say that that was taking the monkey right off of his back. Redemption exoneration too early to tell because nobody was there. But my question is what the hell are you doing for two reasons? One, you're an outsider in New York telling your now fans to fuck off for booing the team and you. And two, you've played like garbage. What else do you expect them to do? You're allowed to boo if you're not playing up to potential, especially in New York. I was floored. If you want to do this in like secret amongst the guys, a little camaraderie, like, oh, the fans, we'll show them. Why would you tell everybody about it? (laughs) What upside was there to admit? Yeah, we're doing the thumbs down because the Mets fans have been booing us and we didn't really care for that. Did you check the papers? Did you check the standings? What, do you want them to come and kiss your feet? Well, they win like eight games in 30-plus games? The record is preposterous. They went from four games up to eight games back in the blink of an eye. You don't want us to boo? What, do you want us to have a party after the game? Come on to the Big Apple. We'll throw it up out of the hat because God knows you're not hitting a home run. And we'll throw a party for y'all. We don't want to make you guys feel bad, even though you've been playing like garbage. I couldn't believe it. And as a baseball fan, especially a Cardinals fan, I'd love to know what you thought about whatever this was. Well, in the words of, uh, from another sport, the great Hall of Famer Dan Deardorff, former Monday night, uh, analyst and Michigan alum. This is a franchise in a state of disarray. They need an enema. It's as simple as that because everywhere you turn, the Mets are a train wreck. Even though ownership has been flipped to Mr. Cohen, the billionaire hedge fund genius from Greenwich, whether it's their former manager sending pictures of himself to female staffers, whether it's uh, the former 
front office dude uh, harassing female staffers, whether it's the current, excuse me, former, current, interim GM being not pulled over. He was pulled over in White Plains at 4.15 a.m. That's charged with DUI after a get-together in Greenwich, which apparently ended at like 8.30, 9 o'clock at the owner's house after that big win. You have this mind-numbing scenario amongst the players. And, you know, I got in this discussion with Ryan Spielberg and his partner, Mr. Stern, the other day when Ryan said, well, it's entertainment. It's not just entertainment. This isn't about, you know, going to a bad Tom Cruise movie and saying, you know, I, I didn't get my money's worth. This is not about going to you know, a bad, there's been a, never been a bad Springsteen concert in my mind, but going to a bad Springsteen concert and saying, Jesus, I didn't get my money's worth. You know, I'm, boom, I'm never coming back. You know, it's, it's a, this is not just entertainment. People are invested in this. Fan is short for fanatic. Fans don't sleep at night sometimes when their team loses games. I know. I'm one. I don't. Sometimes I still don't. And I am the old, old, old report. Pathetic as it may be, what kind of life can I have if I actually struggle sleeping after Alex Reyes gives up a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth against Pittsburgh to turn a 3-1 win and a 4-3 loss? in the midst of the dead birds trying to find a way to, to roll their way into the second wild card. And that still happens to me. Well, what about the people who are season ticket holders who invest tens of thousands of dollars into this team who live and die with the Mets, who every breath they take is about the Mets. It's not just entertainment. It's their team. It's their city. It's their lifeblood. It's their fandom. They come out and root nonstop for you. They live and die with you. And you're going to boo them when you stink and you just got here? Dorothy, this ain't Kansas. This isn't, you know, sit out in the bleachers in Wrigley, no shirt, drink beer. If we win, great. If we lose, eh, I got a 10. I got drunk. I had a blast. I threw a couple of home run balls back. And you know what? Javi made a great tag. Javi made a great no-look tag. Man, that's worth the price of admission. Not in New York. They don't care about no-look tags. They care about play hard. And if you lose and you play hard, okay. That's all right. But if you suck, and then you tell us we suck, because we booed you for sucking, you're barking up the wrong alley, dude. And you're in the wrong city. Because that don't fly here. Doesn't fly in Philly. Doesn't fly in Boston. Not just here. Doesn't work in New York. You're not in Kansas. Susan always cute. I love I'll look at the year. By the way, where's the $300,000 earring? Have we found it yet? On the head first slide home? Then I thought, there's the general manager slash team president roaming around home plate with the home plate with the grounds crew, with the rakes, trying to find Javi Baez's earring, which he lost on the head first slide home. That says it all. Says it all. You got a $340 million shortstop 
The only reason you're here is because of the shortstop who's fighting in the runway with his second baseman over being out of position. And oh, by the way, they brought you in for one reason because the 340 mile, mile and dollar shortstop said you'd love to turn double plays with you instead of the guy you got in a fight with when they should have traded for Chris Bryant. So it's a train wreck. It's a mess. An absolute mess from the front. And, you know, ownership's got to look in the mirror. Who the hell are you hiring? What the fuck are you doing? Because right now the house stinks. Needs to be aired out. Team needs an enema. It's as simple as that. Well, the time is here, folks. This time next week and the next time you hear our voice, you'll get our way too early and most likely wrong Picks of distinction. National Football League picks. Who we think's got it. Who we think doesn't. Fade accordingly, as we always say. But we're looking forward to that. And with the dust settled from week one in college football, what's that's going to look like? Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, this has been the best ham sports podcast, period. For the new report, my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, this is the old report, Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Get vaccinated. Have a great sports weekend. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.